Well, good morning. Oh, yes, I need this. <laughs> Faith, hope, and charity. These three. But the greatest is what? Love. Does that diminish in any way faith or hope? No, not a bit. They're just as important as love, but there's a reason love is the greatest. Faith, we know, will end at the grave. There'll be no need of faith after that because faith will become sight, right? And hope that is that which we desire will come to pass. And so that will have come to pass. And so hope will not be needed after the grave. But faith, hope, these two are necessary in our life every minute, every hour, every day, every week, as long as we live. We need both of those. They're vital. They're not optional. But love, why is it the greatest? Because you see, the grave doesn't stop it. Love never fails. Love is forever. And so God is love. That's his greatest attribute, isn't it? It's love. I mean, you think about it. He loved us before we even knew about him. Before we were even born, he knew we would come into existence. And he even loved us before we were here on this earth. So love stands out above all the rest. So we realize that God is not only love, but he is providential. And he enters into the affairs of those that he loves. We realize that he is sovereign, that he is supreme. There is no power above him. But he is also all-knowing. He knows what's going to happen the next minute, the next hour. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what you're thinking right now. I don't know what you're thinking. He knows what I'm thinking. And you know what I'm thinking. But he does. Because he is all-knowing. In John chapter 2, I'd like for you to look there for a minute. John 2, the Gospel of John, in verse 23. 2 and 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles, which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, or he did not entrust himself unto them, because he knew all men. Verse 25, And needed not that any should testify or bear witness of man, for he knew, he realized, what was in man. And when you think about when Jesus... In the Garden of Gethsemane, that night, he knew that he was going to be captured, taken prisoner. And he told them, the disciples, what was going to take place. He said in uh, Mark 14 and 27, And Jesus said unto them, All ye have been offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said, Now, Peter's always got something to say, right? Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Don't you just love Peter? He's just like us a lot of times, isn't he? He speaks and then he thinks about what he said. 
But you know what Jesus said to him? Jesus, knowing all things, said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus already knew what was in Peter. He knew the fear that would come upon Peter when he saw what happened to Jesus. And he feared the same thing's going to happen to me. But he already knew. And he knows everything in advance that's going to take place. Did he know? Was he surprised when Adam partook of the forbidden fruit? When God spoke to Adam after he had sinned, and God came into the garden and said, Where are you, Adam? Did he know where Adam was? He already knew, didn't he? But he asked him for a reason. When God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham said, you know, 50 all the way to 10. He said, if there's 10 righteous, will you spare Sodom? And God said, yes, for 10 I will. Did God already know there were not going to be even 10 righteous in the whole city of Sodom and Gomorrah? He already knew. God never needed a backup plan. He never had to say, oh, I guess I have to do this now. No, he already knew in advance. Unlike man who know not what tomorrow holds, except for what the scripture tells us, God knows in advance exactly what's going to take place and has made preparation for his people. All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, God knowing in advance had made preparation for all. God judges one, the unrighteous, and he delivers the righteous. He's always done it throughout the Bible, and he's still going to do it in this day that we live. The water that was sent to in Noah's flood, the judgment was on the unrighteous, and the deliverance was on the righteous. When Noah, his family, the animals were in the ark, they were lifted above the judgment that was taking place below the ark. Judgment on the unrighteous and deliverance. The ark of safety was the ark for Noah. When the Israelites were fleeing Pharaoh's army, one thing stood between them and escape, and it was what? Water. The Red Sea. And so what happened? We know God parted the Red Sea, and the water became their deliverance because when they crossed over on that dry riverbed and the Egyptians followed them in hot pursuit, the water destroyed their enemy, but they were delivered by the water and escaped. So the water, just like for Noah, it was his, their escape from the flood. The ark lifted above it. So when we think about how that God always delivers, we realize that we use the word baptism sometimes in the place of the water. Noah's baptism was the water. And if you look at 1 Peter 3 and 18, we see how water and baptism are used much in the same way. 1 Peter 3 
18 through 22. Verse 18. For Christ also has once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, you know, if you look at verse 6, chapter 4, that kind of explains that verse. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, or those that were in Sheol, you know, on the paradise side where Abraham and Lazarus was. What did he preach to them? He preached to them the kingdom of God, that he was the Messiah, he was a chosen one that would come. That's what he was telling them. That they might be judged according to man in the flesh, those that are alive today that hear the good news, according to man in the flesh, but living according to God in the spirit. So I believe that's what he's talking about there in verse 19. But verse 20, when sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And so that's used in conjunction with baptism. The like figure wherein too even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven, it is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers. Now, Matthew 3 and 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water. Now, this is John the Baptist unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear or to tie. He shall baptize you with what? The Holy Ghost and with fire. So that's a baptism he's talking about. So we realize baptism means to be placed into. Noah was placed where? Into the ark, which saved him from God's judgment. 1 Corinthians 10 and 2 says, They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were placed into Moses' leadership and under his guidance. So 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So we're baptized into the body of Christ. That's our safety ark, just like it was for Noah. As God has revealed throughout history, the way of redemption for those who trust in him these antitypes are Noah's Ark parting of the Red Sea and others they're all points point to the one all time Ark of Deliverance and that is the cross of Christ so when we read in First Peter these antitypes it's an earthly expression of a spiritual reality Baptism is figuratively immersion into union with Christ as on an ark of safety from the judgments of God. Judgment fell on Christ 
as the judgment of the flood waters fell on the ark. The believer who is in Christ is thus in the ark of safety that will sail over the waters of judgment into eternal glory. Being in union with Christ prefigures being saved from damnation. So, you know, if, if you want to take a look at Isaiah 53, we see that it wasn't the Jews, it wasn't the Romans that actually put Jesus on the cross, but it was actually God the Father. And you'll see that here in Isaiah 53. Now, he used the Romans and he used the Jews as instruments to carry out his will. So Isaiah 53, I'll give you a moment to get there because this is very important because he was bruised or he was crushed for our iniquities. And God tells us here in this verse 10 and verse 11 of chapter 53 of Isaiah. In the very first words that we read, yet it pleased the Lord that's God the Father, to bruise him or crush him, and that's Jesus Christ. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In other words, he is the propitiation for us. That is the removal of the wrath of God and that is the receiving of the favor of God. That's what propitiation is. And so he removed the wrath, placed it on his own son to pay the price of our sin. That's what the, that cross right there, that's, that's what that is showing us. That's where he paid the price for our sins. He was bruised, he was crushed for our iniquities. And it pleased the Father that his son paid the price. The wages of sin is what? Death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the gift. Jesus Christ is the gift to us and therefore the gift of salvation. He shall see his, the travail of his soul, shall be satisfied. That means he was acceptable of the price that his own son paid for our sins. His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. What did he have on either side? Transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for transgressions so we realize that, that is why Jesus came was God sent him John 3.16 for God so loved the world that what he gave what his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have life everlasting God sent him here that little babe born in that manger God sent him and he sent them for us that we could sing these songs this morning, you know, and give glory to God the Father and glory to God the Son and glory to the Holy Spirit. So if you'll look at Luke chapter 2, 
and I kind of went around a, a ways to get to here, but I thought that was important to bring out the, what Jesus went through. And now we see him as he comes into the world to go through the process that he went through. Chapter 2 of Luke, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed or registered. And this taxing was first made with Cyrenius, was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Wouldn't you be also? I know I would. And the angel said, verse 10, unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, what? A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. And it came to pass that as the angels were gone away from them and into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those sayings which were told them by the shepherd. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then if you'll look at verse 21, same chapter. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy of the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death 
before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit. Very important words. He came not of himself, but he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, they took him up in his arms, then took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Can you imagine holding Jesus in your hands as a baby? Simeon was blessed, wasn't he? To be able to hold the precious Christ child in his hands. The Savior of the world, here he's holding a little bundle in his hands. Almost overwhelming to think about. Verse 29, Lord, now lettest thou, thy servant, depart in peace according to thy word. You see, everything according to the word of God. All of this pre-planned by God. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of what? All people. It's open to all people. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. What? shall be saved, Romans 10. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. Here's an Old Testament saint holding in his hands the new covenant, the new testament. The word became flesh and what? Dwelt upon man. Jesus Christ, the Old Testament saint holding the new covenant in his hands, Jesus Christ. Simon, Simeon was seeing with his own eyes what people had waited centuries to see. He was, I'm not reading out the Bible right now. <laughs> I saw some of you looking and ain't there. <laughs> He was holding in his arms the salvation of God. A great king, yes he was. A great prophet, yes he was. A priest, yes he was. But here, he's a little baby. Here was this young peasant girl and her husband making the most meager sacrifice. They were so poor that all they could afford to sacrifice was a pair of doves. But in her hands was the greatest sacrifice of all. The sacrifice that would give light to the Gentiles and the glory to the people of Israel. God knew when we read that in John about Peter thinking, I'll never leave the Lord. See, God knows what's in our hearts. He knows man's inability. He knows their failure, their failures. But he gave prophets the prophetic word for coming events. No one has ever been able to predict the future accurately except God through his holy words. Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than anything in the whole world. That one little place, and it was probably a little stone cave that they were in called a stable. And yet there was something in that little stable 
that was greater than anything in the whole world. How can any believer even have one drop of doubt about God's preservation of the saints when seeing how he delivered the righteous from the peril of their enemy and his judgment on the unrighteous? And that's why I wanted to start where I did with the flood about Sodom and Gomorrah and about the Egyptians being able to escape because I wanted these things to be fresh in our mind and realize that as he preserved them, he's preserving us, the church, in the same way. God's holy word covers every aspect of his deliverance, his preservation, and the glory that awaits his children in heaven's glory. My prayers and hope for the body of Christ in this coming year is that believers will be more diligent about studying God's word in order that they will grasp the assurance of God's preservation of the body of Christ. The more that we understand the word of God, the more that we will see how he is going to preserve his people. And he's doing that why because of his love first uh, John 4 and 18 perfect love cast out all fear there is no fear in love fear hath torment and God does not want us to live with torment he that feareth is not made perfect in love whenever you fear feel that fear coming upon you whenever you feel that anxiety that worry guess what you're not realizing how much God loves you and how he's going to take care of business remember we talked about the sovereignty of God he intervenes in the lives of those that he loves and keeping it in our mind how much he cares for us and loves us and is going to preserve us we have God's word that assures us of his promise We have God's spirit dwelling within that comforts, that strengthens and illuminates his truth. We have God's love that draws us closer to him. It comforts us, causing us to love others the way that he loves us. We experience the same type of love that God the Father has for the Son and the Son has for God the Father. The same love he's given to us. John 17 and 26 says, And I have declared unto him, I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. That's John 17 and 26. That same love is there for you and for me. (coughs) We will one day experience heaven's glory. We can have a bit of heaven here on this earth, by loving our neighbor and loving ourselves, loving God and loving God the Son. You know, when you think about the Christmas season, you think about it's a time of giving, isn't it? You see people giving during the Christmas season more than any other time of the year. And why is that? Why is there more of a giving spirit? It's because of the love that they have in their hearts. And they really show it during Christmas. We really show it during Christmas. There's a story about a man who was a farmer. 
and his wife was saved, but he wasn't. He's, he's called himself an atheist, but I don't believe there's such a thing as an atheist. And the reason I say that <clears throat> is that he says in the book of John that he gives a little light to every man. I think every person knows there's a God. Now, what do they do with that? That's the difference. But I believe every person knows. That's why I don't think there's such a thing as an atheist. They say, no God for me. But they know there's a God. But they'll tell you there, there is no God, but they know there's a God. But this man didn't believe there was a God. And when his wife asked him to go with her and the children to the Christmas Eve service, he said, why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? He said, that's ridiculous. So they left, went to the church service, and he sat down there in the den, and he was just enjoying some quiet time. And all of a sudden, he heard howling outside, the wind really strong. So he went and looked outside, and it was like a blizzard had come just out of nowhere. And so he sat back down in front of the fire, you know, and all of a sudden, he heard something hit the house. And he thought, I wonder what that is. But it's so bad outside, he just sat there, and then something else hit the house. He said, all right, I've got to go check this out. So he put his coat on, and he went outside, and all of a sudden there were just geese flying around in a circle right above the ground. Some landed, some were getting up. They were looked frantic and just in distress, flying around him in this blizzard. Didn't know where to go. They'd probably been headed south and got caught in a blizzard, and now they have no protection. So he thought, man, i got to do something. So he went and opened the barn door. Thought they'd fly in there if they saw that opening, but they didn't. So he went and got some bread out of the house, lit a bread trail to the barn, think they'll eat that bread and go in there, but they didn't. And then he thought, man, if I could become a goose, I could fly among them and fly in the barn. So all of a sudden I thought, hey, I'll go get one of my geese in the barn and bring them out here and let them fly in, and maybe they'll follow them. And so sure enough, he got one of his geese and went over and got behind them, let the geese go, and it flew right in the barn. But several of them flew right with it. And then others saw them flying, and so they all went into the barn, and they were safe. And he got to thinking what he had told his wife. Why would God want to be like us? And he said, that's ridiculous. And then that thought came to him. That began to make sense that when I put a goose out there that would lead them to safety, they followed it. And he said, as the winds, no, he said, this is what God had done. We were like the geese, blind, lost, perishing. God had his son become like us so he could show us the way and save us. This was the meaning of Christmas, he realized. <laughs> it took that. As the winds and the blinding snow died down, his soul became quiet and he pondered this wonderful thought. Suddenly he understood why, what Christmas was all about, why Christ had come. Years of doubt and disbelief vanished like the passing storm. He fell to his knees in the snow and prayed his first prayer. Thank you, God, for coming in human form 
out of the storm, to bring me out of the storm that I'm in. So we were all in a storm, right, <laughs> until Jesus took us out of the storm. And that's what it took for this man to believe that Jesus had come as a babe. God had to show him something that he could actually see and realize the reason. You know, when I was, uh, before I was saved, probably in my early 30s, uh, my son was still fairly small, and uh, we were going to have Christmas at our house, which we hadn't done before. We always went to my mom and dad's, and I was really <coughs> expecting it to be a great time, you know, everybody coming into our house, and I had high expectations for that day. So that day came, and, you know, everybody came, and we had a lot of food, had a lot of fellowship. We exchanged gifts, and it was just a good day. But at the end of the day, everybody, or the night, everybody began to leave. And uh, wife and my son retired, and I was just sitting in the den by myself, looking at the tree, the lights, the gifts that had been opened. And my expectations were here for that day. And I remember saying, is that all there is? I thought there's got to be more than that to it. But you see, I hadn't partake, partook of that indescribable, indescribable gift. So all I had <clears throat> was exterior. Nothing that happened on the inside. I still was vacant. I was empty. I was lost. And that's why, as long as everybody was there and we were fellowshipping, I felt really good. But when everybody left, I was just as empty as I was before the day came. And I didn't realize till years later when I got saved. <clears throat> and I then realized Christmas for what it really was because the Savior had come and saved me. And I then had him on the inside. You see, the, the perfect gift is not under a tree, but died on a tree for you and me. That's the perfect gift. And I had not partaken of the perfect gift. And therefore, <clears throat> Christmas was just a celebration. That's all it was. I remember, and you've probably experienced this, some of you may have, but I was in a checkout line one time. And I got ready to pay, and the clerk said, uh, you don't owe anything. That lady just paid for you. I said, what? I said, yeah. So I grabbed my stuff, and I caught up with her. And I said, well, thank you for doing that. She said, you're welcome. And it was just like I was overwhelmed, you know. Sometimes you think humanity is just gone. <laughs> you know, there's no hope. But I thought, this lady just showed what giving is really about. And I remember being in a drive-thru one time. Same thing happened. I pulled up to the window, you know, to pay for it. And they said, you don't know it's anything. The person in the car ahead of you paid for it. You know, what? I was so surprised, you know. And, you know, that's what they say, talk about pay ahead. You know, you pay for somebody else when somebody does that for you. And they are able to experience the joy also that you did. But, you know, I really didn't know what Christmas was all about in many facets before I got saved. I thought it was about getting, receiving. But then after Christ, I realized it's really about giving. 
it's great, more blessed to give than to receive. And I realized the real joy in giving. So when we help others, actually we're the ones that are blessed. And that's why we look to the one, you know, who showed us how to give. Because he gave that that was most precious to him, his only son. And Jesus gave his own life. So there is no greater love than what Jesus Christ and God the Father has shown us. And so we as his children do what? We begin to do exactly what our Heavenly Father does also in our Lord Jesus Christ. We give because it's in our heart. And when I discovered what real love was, when I got saved, I had no idea what real love was. I knew what it was to have earthly love. If somebody loves me, I love them. I didn't understand unconditional love, agape love, until I got saved. And that was one of the greatest things that came out in my life was I had the ability to love people and love people that didn't love me. They were unworthy of my love, but I still love them. Often they were unresponsive of my love, but I still love them. Often they were unlovable. You ever met anybody like that? Unlovable? <laughs> unresponsive and unworthy of your love, and yet you love them anyway? And that's what Jesus did with us, as he loved us anyway. And so we always look to the one that shows us how to love. And that's how our lives changed. When I got married, I was hardcore. I don't know if the service did it to me or what, but I was an empty man on the inside. But you know, when I got married, my mother-in-law loved me like her own son. And I didn't treat her right. And you know what? She loved me anyway. What I did did not matter to her. She had that agape love, and she just kept loving me. She had a son-in-law that showed no love for her whatsoever, but she continued to love her son-in-law like her own son. And you know what? When she passed away of cancer at 57, I cried like a baby standing over her because she had shown me a love that I didn't know anything about, but I knew it was real because love never fails. That love was real, and I knew that. And it impacted my brain and my heart, my spiritual heart. And I knew there was something more by the example my mother-in-law showed me because she didn't let my reaction stop her from loving me. She spent the last year of her life at our house, my wife taking care of her when she had cancer. And uh, this old hard-headed Italian had changed. I hadn't been saved yet, but my heart had been changed in a way because I'd come in from work <clears throat> and she'd be laying on the couch most of the time and I'd walk over and I'd say, oh boy, do you have the life of Riley? I guess you lay around here all day and do nothing, right? <laughs> she would start laughing, I'd start laughing and I'd lean over and give her a hug and a kiss. And she was just beaming because she knew it had finally taken place, you know, that her son-in-law had started returning the love that she had been showing him after all those years. And she knew it was real. You know, love never fails. And that's how people know we're different. They know that Christians are different than the world because we can love them when they don't deserve it. Just as our Heavenly Father, 
he loved me, and I was a basket case, you know. I didn't know how to treat people or love people, but he loved me anyway. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the fellowship. We, we're thankful that we could come and sing about you, Lord Jesus. And we know, Lord, that as you came that time to this earth and gave your life, you're going to come back, Lord, for your church. And John 14 says that we'll be with you. We'll enjoy what you have prepared for us, Lord. But help us while we're here, Lord, to continually walk in the light and spread that light to others. We know we have a purpose here on this earth, Lord, and it is to make a difference. And we make that difference like my mother-in-law made to me by loving me irregardless. And I pray, Lord, that we'll make the same difference in somebody's life. There may be someone in someone's life sitting here today that the way I was toward my mother-in-law, maybe someone is that way toward them. And maybe, Lord, they needed to hear that, to just keep on loving them and know, Lord, that you have a work for them to love the unlovable, unworthy, and often the unresponsive. So, Lord, I pray during this Christmas season that we will all realize that you're the reason for the season. And as I said earlier, the perfect gift is not under a tree, but died on a tree for you and me. So fill our hearts full of your love. Help us to be, Lord, close to you. Every day we draw closer. Draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you. And, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. And, Lord, I lift up in prayer these that were mentioned. Pray that you would bring healing to them as only you can do, Father. Help them to feel better, Lord, even today, Lord, when the healing process be taking place. Even Charlotte, Lord, I pray for her. Bring healing to her and help to Carol, Lord that she cares for. And I know there are many requests in this room today. May meet each one of our requests. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.